Episode 98. On episode 97, we had the pleasure of talking with writer-director Richard Stanley all about his return to the big screen with his wonderful H.P. Lovecraft adaptation, Color Out of Space, at time of release in theaters everywhere now. This time around, Lauren and Leo hang out with you and some of the incredible cast of Color Out of Space, Madeline Arthur, Brendan Meyer, and Elliot Knight. Hear about their horror firsts, the secret backstories of their characters you don't get to see on screen, working with the story director, the brilliance of Nicolas Cage, and more in this fun conversation. We absolutely love these guys and can't wait to have them back. Time for some intergalactic creepiness. This is Madeline Arthur. This is Elliot Knight. And this is Brendan Meyer. You're about to enter another dimension with the Boo <laughs> 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 Then everything just blew up. Big flash. Like a pink light. Or actually, I don't even know what color it was. It wasn't like any color I'd ever seen before. Looks like a meteorite. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining us in the Speakeasy studio today are three electrifying young actors starring in movies and television today. Our first guest, Madeline, has starred as Christine in To All the Boys I've Loved Before and as Willow Warren in the TV series The Family, as well as appearances in TV shows such as The Magicians, The X-Files, Supernatural, and The Tomorrow People. Next, Brendan has starred as Luke Peterson in The Guest, and as Jesse in the TV series The OA, as well as Jake Powell in the miniseries Fear the Walking Dead Flight 462. And finally, Elliot has starred as Brady Ross in the TV series American Gothic, and as Merlin in Once Upon a Time. Opening in theaters this Friday, the film is an atmospheric sci-fi horror titled Color Out of Space, written and directed by Richard Stanley and starring Nicolas Cage, Jolie Richardson, and our three in-studio guests. We are so honored to welcome Madeline Arthur, Brendan Meyer, and Elliot Knight. Thank you for having us. That sounded wonderful. Oh man, so awesome to have you here. This is is awesome already. This is my (laughs) favorite podcast moment ever. (laughs) Yes. So I want to start by going around the room and talking about your guys' first experience with the horror genre, whether it was like watching a movie when you were young that scared you or reading a book or a show. I think the first thing i just realized when you said that that was a horror world that i watched was the rocky horror show when i was like five. What? Oh wow yeah i didn't <laughs> well, i didn't young. like sit down and watch it but i put the tv on and this thing was on and i was like what's happening it was so strange it honestly it reminds me of this movie too because it it's not you know obvious jump scare horror it's more mind-bending reality but that was my first moment and after that it was uh there was a remake of amityville horror that I 
watched and which, screamed my lungs. Which out. one do you remember? Because there's like so many sequels I, and remakes of that. I don't. I, it was like, uh, it would have been like 2006, 2007. Think, is that the one with uh, the Ryan Reynolds yeah, one? Yeah, the Ryan Reynolds oh, one. That's go. it. Okay. Yeah, that was, yeah, yeah. I, that scared me. Did you, sure. go back and, did you ever go back and research like the true story about that? Absolutely uh, not. It's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mean, the, the guy's still in prison. What? Yeah, the guy's still alive. He's in prison, you know, for shooting the, the, the what's it, the, the fail, running to fail, whatever his name is. Uh, See, these are the things that I'm happy and not knowing, <laughs> but I appreciate you educating no, me. No, and you know the crazy thing is, he's never spoken a word. Like, he's never confessed and never said why he did it. Nothing. It's like a huge mystery. Jeez. Wow. Still talk about Ryan Reynolds? Or- <laughs> just, <laughs> <Yeah>. just, <laughs> that one? Oh, I just think kidding. the first for me wasn't even necessarily a horror film. I think just... I think I must have been about five when I first saw it and it was spirited away and I just was terrified of it. <laughs> um, it's I was terrified of the grandmother and I would have nightmares about her and that would seep into having nightmares about this witch living in the floor like Arthur um, and the, what is it? Arthur and the Sorcerer's Stone, yes. the Disney one. I also yeah. was really mm. scared of Pip, I think the witch's name was and would have this recurring nightmare about the witch coming up from my bedroom floor and like putting me in a cage oh, no. it was awful. <laughs> so those are my first experiences of being scared, but not necessarily with a specific horror movie. Wow. <laughs> and subsequently, have you watched anything in, in recent years that, that Oh, I just scary? watched The Thing recently. Mm. Now, the original, oh, nice. the John Carpenter. Uh, the John Carpenter, The Thing. You know, that movie's considered like a perfect horror mm-hmm. movie. I mean, I was, I thought it was, it was brilliant. I was really terrified by it because it's this intangible thing. Similar, there are, I've seen some kind of comparisons to color, just this intangible, you're not really sure what, what is affecting them or what is, what is coming for them. And I thought it was, I was on the edge of my seat the entire time. And, and set also in the setting in Antarctica Mm -hmm. also just adds this isolated eeriness that was terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, it's great because in the thing, the horror is in the horror still looks like you, which I think there's similar yep. things like that in Color Out of Space, right? Yeah. Where the, the parents start acting differently I mean, than they normally oh, do. Oh, yeah, that's we'll, its own we'll, horror. We'll get to it in a second, yeah, but I was yeah. really curious if the thing was a homework assignment for you guys for this movie. No, no. but I, th- I think I've heard Richard was talking okay. on the set about it. I saw it afterwards i actually just saw the thing for the first time last year too i actually saw it okay. at the, it was cool they did a double bill of et and the thing at the egyptian oh, theater. Cool. yeah yeah the cool thing is that you know in the age of uh, cgi and, and special effects that movie uh, it was such groundbreaking special effects by rob boutine mm. who did all the practical stuff so yeah and all that stuff that you see in the movie it was like a one take thing because he had no time to reset or do it over. So can you imagine one guy doing the special effects? I mean, everything you saw in the movie, every creature you saw. Yeah. And of course, yeah, there, there are echoes and uh, color of sp- out of space. I think yeah. some of the ways practical things look like specifically the one, the one uh, alpaca monster <laughs> oh, yeah. looks right. similar, <laughs> looks similar to yeah, some yeah. of how it uh, manif- the thing, right. the creature manifests. There is definitely right. when I watch the thing, I'm like, I think I've seen mm-hmm. something like that before. Yeah. <laughs> right. So what scared you? Yeah, Bren. Yeah. Well, I was, tra- I was thinking about this. So, I think my first interaction with horror genre was actually with books because I had this series called The Great Illustrated Classics and they were sort of like easy to read illustrated kind of bridged versions of classic books for like young people and I feel like that's when I first read like Dracula yeah. and like Mary Show's Frankenstein and stuff like that so when I think about like the classic horror characters I feel like that's when I was first 
influence. But you know what movie I remember scaring me as a kid, which is sort of like a not talk about, but there's this movie called White Noise with Michael Keaton. Oh, yeah. Yes. That I saw. I love that movie. Yeah. I probably saw it like too young, though, because I'm trying to think of when it came out. And like, but I, that's the, a movie that I actually remember my parents taking like me to as a kid and me thinking, like, I'm old enough. And it, I think it was only like PG in Canada. So I was like, it's PG. <laughs> like, I can go. Like, I'm old enough. Take me. And there's some image of like three faceless shadows looming over and like he's and 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 it's just this really disturbing image of like these three faceless they just look like three shadows but they're like and i remember for like you know every time i close my eyes i'd see them for like two weeks so actually that's the movie that i remember being like genuinely scared by you know there's a lot of great horrors that i've watched and appreciated and been scared by but that's the one i think that got me as a child oh yeah yeah and subsequently after that uh what have you watched that you've loved um i mean i'm trying to think of what I've seen recently that were like I mean uh, I mean I watched the original Halloween recently as well, which I thought okay. was very very effective yeah, in terms great. of how it just and it really is just like a it, almost similar to what I was saying about white noise like it is sort of a lone figure yep just an image yep. that continually appears behind them and it, you know in front of her in windows or just standing in broad daylight I think that's <laughs> right. what's kind of interesting about that movie is how scary just one person standing in broad daylight can be there's a lot I'm blanking right now but Halloween definitely was was one that I liked a lot. Awesome. So this is Richard Stanley's return to film after his infamous experience on the island of Dr. Moreau in 1996. Mm. Were you guys aware of the stories of Richard Stanley? How did you guys get involved in the project? I wasn't aware of Richard before the movie. Okay. Um, but I very quickly learned of his legend and, you know, <laughs> dove deep into that world and watched Lost Isles, a documentary about Island of Dr. Moreau and you know, I think we all agree he is a deeply fascinating, knowledgeable, kind, lovely man. Yes. Uh, who's so talented and, you know, he, he's just incredible. He's oh, so yeah. poetic yeah. as well. Just he's a natural born storyteller, even just speaking to him and the way he'll describe something to you. He's so eloquent. Oh, yeah, yeah, he really is. And just knows everything about anything and can just pull it out <laughs> of his pocket at any yes. moment. But for me, I, in terms of coming onto the project, I've been sent the script to read and I've been thinking up to that point, I'd love to be involved in like a horror <laughs> genre. I've never nice. done that before. Yeah. It would be really cool. And then this sort of materialized, which was spooky enough. And, uh, you know, I, the first time I read the script, I didn't look at the character that had been sent to me to look at. Cause I was like, let me just see what this story is first. I want to read it from an unbiased point of view and right. not be getting distracted in my head of what I think and what I'd like to prepare. And, you know, I was just blown away by it. And, uh, you know, that's Richard's script. It's his adaptation and learning more about him and learning more about Lovecraft. It was very clear, very quickly how unique an experience and opportunity this was going to be for anyone involved. And, uh, you know, it's really truly lived up to that, especially now we get to share it with people. It's, mm. um, yeah, it's it's amazing. Yes, and the experience as a whole, just going into it, working with Richard, have, having the honor to work with him on his first project in many years and working with Jolie and working with Nick and these guys right here and everyone else yeah, and, and filming in a... Portugal in mm, this very yeah. mystical oh, yeah. place itself. It oh, all yeah. kind of felt like this very magical process as a whole and something to absolutely be a part of. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. you guys are such a great cast. It all works. Yes, yeah. we are. We no, it, it, yeah. Including the uh, hydrologist over there. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it was such a great group of people. And I think everybody was so passionate and engaged from the beginning as, right. as well. I think everyone really 
bought in and were inspired by Richard and what he'd written and his passion. And I think that that is why it was so great too, is because everybody was so engaged. And his passion is infectious because he's Mm -hmm. been a lifelong HP Lovecraft fan and is like, He's like a walking, talking uh, HP Lovecraft <laughs> encyclopedia. Yeah. So, so having that that excitement and from him, I feel like just everyone everyone took in that energy. Right. Yeah. Now, f- for those listeners not familiar with the HP Lovecraft short story adaptation, can you give us a brief synopsis on what the film is about? The film uh, is about uh, this family, the the Gardner fam family, and kind of the people in their orbit, such as uh, Elliot's character Ward, hydrologist, who's the hydrologist, the mayor, um, Tommy Chong's character. So it's about <laughs> yeah. the Gardner family people who live around their estate and come, you know, and stuff like that. And so it kind of follows. There's a, a meteor that lands in the front yard of the family home, and it just comes from outer space and lands and they don't think of anything of it at first. And then all of a sudden, I mean, it's weird that a meteor landed, but they don't think anything of it at first because nothing else happened. And then all of a sudden weird things start to happen with the animals on their farm. And Elliot starts to see weird things happening out outside in the land around it and in the water. And, and the family's then own personalities start to change. So it's sort of about how whatever was in that meteor sort of affects the family. Do you guys want to talk about your characters? Go on, Brendan. Keep going. No, well, my character is Benny, so he's one of the kids of the of the family, and the the family's backstory is basically that they've they've just recently moved to the old kind of family home, their, their grandparents, I guess, Madeline and I's grandparents' home, and uh, they're uh, they're kind of adjusting to the the new settings. Because they're kind of trying to get away from society. So my character is kind of stuck in the middle. He likes to like, you know, smoking weed and on his computer. And <laughs> right. uh, he spends a lot of time hanging out with the alpacas that they own. <laughs> <laughs> I have to ask you, uh, Madeline, your character, Lavinia, we first meet her and it appears that she's it appears to be in a dark place herself. And uh, she has this plan of wanting to leave the farmhouse and live her own life. Yes. A little, a little more so than just teenage rebellion. What was the advice or motivation uh, director Richard Stanley uh, provided for your character? Well, he actually provided these pages of notes for all of us on our characters, which was really, really such a gift because it really explained how once this family moved to the farm, Lavinia was really isolated and felt very misunderstood by her family and wanted to be able to kind of do everything on her own. And unlike Benny, she doesn't really participate in social media and was just really having a harder time adjusting to this new lifestyle out on the estate. And so having having Richard's notes, and she uses witchcraft because she doesn't really feel like she has any power or control over her surroundings. So she's trying to seek, as Richard put it, the other world to help her... Um, understand her situation right. and and where she is and so so i think <laughs> i've lost my train of thought but <laughs> <laughs> so much happens so it's much hard happens. To contain it and then exactly and then just to see her character arc like all of them what happens when they're faced with this adversity and the cosmic cosmic dread of everything and once time starts to affect them and for lavinia it's her the sound that affects her in her gut and she starts to feel ill. But something that Richard pointed out to me, which I think is really interesting to look at is that Lavinia actually doesn't get ruined by the color. She gets elevated by it. Mm. She becomes the conduit of the color. And so is actually almost a redeemer. Richard put it as a female Christ being the poet (laughs) that he is. Um, And so that was just, that was just fascinating to kind of track this journey from 
this misunderstood teen who's at odds with every member of her family and then see her kind of become closer to her purpose once the color arrives. And uh, Elliot, the hydrologist. The hydrologist. So what kind of notes did Richard give you about about your role? You know, it, it's fascinating. Like Maddie said, the notes that we all got from him, I think, mm-hmm. is so incredible. You know, it's not something that just happens on a set necessarily. You have what you have for the script that you're shooting and nothing else is really necessary or seems is deemed necessary. But I remember Rich came in with like these full eight pages of just that he typed out himself of a life for this character. And I felt, especially for me, as I'm not a member of the family and you don't see a lot of his personal life, he gave this huge context about Mm. his parents, Ward's relationship with them, big events that had happened, how his father had died and then had a big argument and how that might affect him now. Oh, wow. And um, what's interesting contrasting this adaptation to the original short story is Ward doesn't exist in the short story. That's a character that Richard wanted to add, um, which I think he may have borrowed from a different Lovecraft, maybe Dunwich Horror um, of the Surveyor, so that there would be an element of a window for the audience to look through and see the events that are happening that are so bizarre in this adaptation, right. so that you have something anchoring it so you can understand and like quantify the huge stakes of, of, of the events that occur. And I think, I don't think I'm wrong, but I think Lavinia... In the original short story, it's three boys. That's right. Yeah. So, and I thought it was an amazing, you know, change to introduce, you know. Lavinia and Ward. Well, he completely kind of modernized it and made it contemporary and acceptable in today's today's world with Elliot's character, Ward, and Koryanka's character, the mayor, and my character, Joe Lee's character. Yeah. uh, Just to make it a more modern, um, fully um, rounded tale. I think the diversity of that approach really does help to unlock the potential of what the movie is. The other thing with Ward that was fascinating to me and that Richard loved was that he wanted to, as an homage, I guess, to Lovecraft, he wanted Ward's demeanor and personality to reflect aspects of Lovecraft's mm. own personality. Yes, yes. So in, from what I've understood from researching him and that he was a little bit more re- removed from social you know, society right. and he was very intellectual but found it difficult to communicate with a lot of people and he didn't have that many intense relationships or mm. connections with other humans and besides the darker sides of Lovecraft, obviously, right. which I think is a fun thing that someone like me gets to play that character. Right. What I love about the connection with Lavinia and Ward from the beginning is that I'm not sure I can't say how it comes across to everyone but I know for me and from chatting with Rich that from the notes with Richard yes it's not so much an obvious you know like an attraction or a sexual attraction or anything like that it's something much more fascinating and deeper it's it's this fascination with this human who is so so bold and entrenched in mystery and wonder toward that he just is so drawn to her and and so focused on her energy it's i think it's a smart way to do something new with something that's been done a lot uh that feeds into you know ward's attachment because lavinia really is his attachment to the family that's the humanity that comes out in him is i care so much about this person i don't even know why but it's very valuable to me because there's no one else really in my life that i have that with i was just going to quickly say that i think that it that's what makes that that's really great about Lavinia and Ward's relationship is that it's not a romantic right. one. And again, yeah. I don't know how, as Elliot was saying, how it comes across to the audience, but it's more this connection and this bond that's an intellectual connection. They related over Alexandrian um, or 
different types of Wicca. And right, right. I think that that's just so wonderful to see on the screen where a male-female friendship that doesn't have romantic right, ties, right, you right. don't yeah. see that Yeah, I thought, I thought it was so great to see, I mean, in a sense, you're both outsiders. Ward's mm. the outsider yes. to the family and Lavinia's the outsider in her own family. Right. And like right. you guys both befriend, befriended each other and connected so well and it just worked so, you know, so perfectly for the movie. Thank so, you, Rich. <clears throat> yes, thank you. <laughs> so, uh, Brendan, yeah. for your role, you play Lavinia's brother. Yeah, so he did, yeah, the notes that, that, that Richard gave me f- for Benny was interesting because it, what it kind of colored in was his relationship sort of to the other members of the family and how he felt about the family moving to this new house, mm-hmm. you know, and stuff about how he looked up to his dad and, and why helping out with stuff was around the farm was trying to connect more with his dad and sort of how, you know, he, he loved his mom, but he felt like maybe she was busy with work and things like that. And there was just, there was interesting things that, and how he felt about Lavinia and how he did love her, but there was, right. you know, they were always picking, there was a lot of really interesting things that just, because, you know, Richard does such a great job of, of setting up the family dynamic in the movie there's so much that you just can't go into or else you'd have like 45 minutes before the meteor hits right so the fact that that like if all that stuff that was in the had made it into the film so it's interesting it's so nice to have that backstory and that you can you can really be able to you know bring that to a scene such as the scene where they're all around the dinner table at the beginning that scene was one of the first scenes we shot and i remember feeling like richard's notes really helped because it's like now i can kind of feel like I know where I'm sitting right. in the family and how I feel about this. And if, you know, Lavinia and, um, and Nick is Madeline and Nick, they have a little bit of a, a an argument, you know, it, 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 how does Benny feel about that? Does that rock him or how is he trying to support his mother? It just, it was helpful because a lot of times, you know, a lot of times you wind up doing that on your own and you wind up doing guesswork. And so to, to get notes from a director and he was still collaborative about it as well. Right. It wasn't just like a, this is it. He also liked <laughs> right. to talk about it. Um, and it was fun to sort of feel like you're on the same page as the director with that stuff. And you weren't just doing it all on your own. It was really helpful. And to film that scene, it was one of our first days on set. We filmed the family dinner scene, oh, wow. which was fantastic because I feel like it really set the tone right. for mm-hmm. our family dynamic. We were able to figure out where we all sat with our relationships to each other. So that when we got to the more uh, taxing or emotionally disturbing scenes, we already kind of had established these relationships within the family so we right. could play more uh, mm-hmm. with, with different levels of intensity. And also, Brendan and I have known each other what? for years. Yeah, we, we knew each other beforehand. Yeah. How, how so? So, so we met through mutual friends. We met through a mutual friend of ours okay, and then okay. we would always just hang out and, and you know, um, yeah, so it's crazy. So the, the sibling way. banter, I feel like for us, we already had a connection and a relationship. Yeah. Oh, that's so that's cool. Yeah, awesome. like, like, there's a, it allowed us to be really free. The weekend that we both got the part, we were like hanging out with our friends. Yeah, like, we you had know, It's like we wound up being... Did Richard know you guys knew each other? No. No, no, no one knew. No <laughs> one from Actually, even from SpectraVision knew. They, we told oh, them wow. like when we got there, we're like, just, this you know, is a like, funny it's my friend. Because I saw Brendan... The, I think it was at the day that he got the part. Would have been like a couple days a couple later, days, yeah. And right. I had just seen him. We were out with friends, and he was like, "Yeah, I'm going to Portugal. I'm filming this movie with Nick Cage. I'm. It's going to be awesome. I'm so excited." And I was like, "Congratulations! That's so cool." <laughs> and then a few days later, I was like, "Hey, Brendan, <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm coming with you." <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> That's so awesome. Okay, so you both have this scene with Nicolas Cage outside the house where he's going crazy from the color, and he puts on this strange voice and everything gets crazy do you have any recollection from filming that scene yes <laughs> can you talk about it because i mean i can imagine like how did you not laugh like i would have just <laughs> right. been laughing so hard well i think it's funny because it's it, it's interesting i think what's funny about the whole movie is that 
what's fun about it and which i guess can be true of a lot of fun kind of wild genre stuff is that there is a line where you're not sure what's funny and what's like deadly serious you know and what uh, but i think what we kind of realize shooting uh, so is that as an actor you sort of wind up playing it the same regardless you know like whether or not you know there's there's a a sick humor to what happens to the family later on or whether it's something that's deeply troubling i think when you're in the moment as an actor you have to treat it with the utmost sort of uh seriousness yeah, you know yeah. and and i think so yeah it, it, i think that scenes like that like you you just feel so in it you know that it, it's hard to like you know you know and and so yeah obviously like there's certain things and elements of, of you know maybe different the way the color affects people that could come off as funny but in the moment you know it's like this is your dad and he's not acting the way you want him to <laughs> right. you know and so it's sort of you it all felt so grounded in the in the moment but yeah but nick does so many interesting creative choices and he does different stuff every time too so it's which is interesting though because it keeps you on your toes right yes, it makes you feel really alive as an actor when you're working opposite opposite him and it's so much fun like it's an abs mm-hmm. it's an absolute hoop because he's making these unique choices that you just never expected and as Brennan was saying, you're kind of, you're just so in the zone. So it really makes it this, this wild experience to, to, to get to film scenes with him. Right. Yeah. And there's an energy there because he does, he does go off the script and do different stuff and try different things. And, and there is an energy that that creates in a scene, right? Because, right. because you, you come to set and you think, you know, but then if, if Nick does something different or if Richard takes it a different direction, you wind up, you, you have to stay really engaged, right. you know? And El- Elliot, you have a unique scene with Richard, uh, with uh, um, Nicholas Cage. You have a fight scene. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Let's, let's talk about that. Yeah, that was one of my favorite things before we did it. I was like, oh, I get to do what with who? That's awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, that was, uh, that was, I think that was Nick's last day. I think we finished that. Um, he sang his little song and then he was off to, you know, his busy life. But it was, it was crazy. You know, it definitely sounds like, uh, uh it's one of those things in my career at this point when I'm like, yeah, I got to do a thing, <laughs> which is pretty fun. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun though. You know, I really, and I enjoy the physical aspect to film as well. And especially right. those moments. And obviously Nick is a pro at that and has been doing it for years. And it was, yeah, it was cool to, to share that moment with him. Yeah, how, no, how was that choreographed, choreographed by the way how was how was it like, uh, it was again it was collaborative like brendan said with everything rich was just very open to finding the best channel for whatever it was we were trying to achieve collectively i see so when we did that we tried something where there was more to the fight it was bigger there were chairs involved there was all this stuff Jeez. yeah it was a huge it was it was originally like a big epic fight showdown um but then we thought so much has happened we don't need to do it that way and just for you know safety reasons and certain things went out and uh nick asked if we could simplify a couple things and he added um i think he added a head bash into something just to you know give it some impact what was interesting for that too is nick made the point of saying you know i'm not supposed to be human at this point in the in the right, movie it, right. it shouldn't feel like here's like a hollywood action fight scene right where it's two guys punching each other and you know it's not about that he's it's a desperate you know, writhing escape from this thing, this atmosphere, this color Mm. that you can't grab onto and you can't see and you can't run away from. So it was, uh, yeah, it was nice to have that creative input too into making that moment, you know, more about the desperation rather than, you know, a beautiful 
piece of choreography. Right. You were also one of the only people that had a scene with Tommy Chong, <laughs> especially <Yes>. that really <laughs> yeah. creepy scene with the tape loop in oh, Tommy's yeah. cottage. That was great. Okay, can you talk that a little bit great. about that I scene? I mean, he's great. Uh, Brendan was in a scene uh, too. We all shared one with uh, the first time you see yep. Tommy. and um, Yeah, with the cat. That's with <laughs> the cat. Right. And, and that, that bad water. That's right. <laughs> that coffee <laughs> that looked like dirt. Uh, and that set was amazing that yeah, they made. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was really great. I'm sad I wasn't in one of those scenes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever walk over and see the house, though? I saw it on the very last day. Yeah. The last day? I don't know why I hadn't gone over there sooner. It was such a cool set. That was where we wrapped as well, where I wrapped. uh, Where the movie wrapped was that, because I was there the last day, I think. Mm. The scene when Josh gets taken up by the tree, that was the last thing that we did. Yeah, uh, he was great, you know, yeah, the, the energy yeah. and especially in the screenings too, whenever his name yeah. comes up and people don't know where he comes on, everyone's like, ah! <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, he was, he was, he was funny, man. And he was always like making funny, like there was a moment, remember where he was sitting there and like, uh, there was supposed to be a thunder effect or something oh, yeah. like that. Oh, and he's just sitting there and, and, uh, and the thunder doesn't go. And after five seconds he goes, somebody messed up. <laughs> like, no, it's just funny. Like he was really funny in terms of, you know, yeah. someone the stuff he was saying he was very fun to be around he was perfect and very game for it too because he was not wearing a lot it wasn't super warm on yeah, set because no, we were outdoors February and <laughs> yeah and he had all this he sat in makeup for ages and he had all like this the hair on yeah. and makeup on his face and he loved it he was like yeah, it's cool man yeah I love it, it was, <laughs> yeah he was great yeah it was really fun I love how, like in all these movies, he's always on the couch. <laughs> he knows. He's got it figured yeah. out. He right. knows how to be comfortable. <laughs> yeah. Should take note from that. Right, right. You know, the, the film itself has a beautiful palette of colors, especially when we see in the night sky around the family's farmhouse uh, property. Mm-hmm. What was it like acting as something you cannot see or touch? And not just the, the colors, but also some of these occurrences with the... Well, I think that we actually really lucked out and were quite fortunate because where we filmed, so we ta- filmed in this small town called Sintra, which is called the Mountain of the Moon. It's in Portugal, right? It's in Portugal, correct. So it already had these very mystical, eerie qualities to it. And so one night, for example, we were filming, and just like in the shot when the meteorite lands in the front yard and there's kind of a giant ring around the meteorite, the moon actually had these two rings around it. Oh, no way. So having things like that to really kind of inspire (laughs) and influence you seeing these extra terrestrial alien kind of kind of visual things was really helpful and then mm-hmm. one time it do, I don't think it shows up in the movie but the alpacas were covered with glitter for some reason. <laughs> oh, yeah. So we also like when Brandon you guys and I, do? I don't. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. Yeah, it wasn't me. It was they, were, they were experimenting with different ways to that maybe the color had had affected the alpacas and that maybe it changed the color of their fur ah, and things like that. They were playing around a lot of. Well, one thing though is that we did have there was a practical sort of like pink light there that was. they did have on set. So okay. there were a few times. It and wasn't quite flowers. as yeah. The the light wasn't certainly didn't have the same texture uh, and right. the same sort of look and feel that it has in the movie. It didn't feel Once quite as alive, right? Yeah, and did it. But job. yeah, they did a great job. But but there was what was fun is there was a real pink light. So if you're sitting in your room, the first time the meteor hits, there was a real pink light that would like totally envelop you, or you'd be looking at it. So that helped a little bit, you know. Because and you had Richard something. was really again a testament to uh, Richard and and his vision in that he kind of gave us all these practical feelings that we could feel when the color was affecting Mm, us so mine was gut nick had smell so just having those and even when Teresa and um and jack have have merged 
we kind of looked at it rather than seeing this alien, th- this mutated being that is really hard for the human mind to uh, compute. We kind of more looked at it. Brendan and I had talked about it as being them having cancer or some some illness. And Teresa's already talked about have ha- having had cancer, but that just made it something that that you could look at in a more realistic way and a more grounded way rather than looking at it as this being where we don't really face beings like that in, in, on our earth in this realm. Well, that's (laughs) always interesting. That's what's interesting about, you know, when you deal with horror and these things is that so often there's these amazing horror, um, creatures and moments but so often in the great horrors they are hide there's something underneath it you know and and yeah you're you're looking at this creature but but so many people tragically can relate to your loved one because of something that you can't control mm. turning into this thing that is no longer uh, fully them, well or... you know and fully them and and having that love and actually that's something that i think nick really tapped into as well in some yes. of the later right. scenes and so that's really interesting but i love horror when there's something like something like the thing that we talked about right. you know it's interesting well thank you guys so much we have to wrap it up everybody go see color out of space it's in awesome. theaters january 24th <laughs> you cannot miss it and thank you guys for being yes, on the show. Thank you guys. Thank, thank you. you this has been a joy. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, it's been so fun. That was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 98. Special thanks to our guests, Madeline Arthur, Brendan Meyer, and Elliot Knight. Follow them at Madeline Arthur, at Brendan KJ Meyer, and at It's Elliot Knight on Instagram. And go see Color Out of Space at time of release in theaters everywhere now. Music for this episode provided by Powerman 5000. Till next time it's the boo crew saying sweet screams thanks for listening to another episode of the boo crew podcast haunt the boo crew at tales from the boo crew.com tales from the boo crew on facebook and instagram follow us on twitter at tales from the boo the boo crew is lauren and trevor shand and leone d'antonio the boo crew is produced by lauren shand chopped and sliced by trevor shand the boo crew is a TSP creation part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye! The Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full-cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy for disturbing and terrifying creepypastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.